0: This is Bruce. This is Trav.
1: And this is Jonathan.
0: Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of going to the basic roots of all gaming and finding out whether or not it should be chopped down like a rotten tree or grafted into all the other new trees that are growing up.
2: I'm not a botanist. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, or no, better yet, I'm not. I'm not a ranger or a druid. There we go. Yeah.
0: Hey. Welcome everyone to Gaming on the Frontier. This week we are talking about classes. You know the concept of classes that is so in um, core. I was going to use the word endemic, but that implies a disease, a uh, core to the AD&D product or the D&D product or whatever version, or the OD&D product, whichever version, or the D20 product, whichever version you ha- are, are the fan of, and Travis is a fan of Pathfinder, uh, compared to the other um, s- systems who operate more on what, w- what I call an archetype methodology. So we're going to talk about what makes one versus the other, and, and, and is the uh, the class system? Does it you know is it really just a holdover? You know, is it too hard for uh, you know for TSR to change what it is? Uh, Wizards of the Coast change change it without, without losing its whole identity as a product, or does it actually provide some kind of benefit that other systems don't provide? So, when you think of a class,
1: uh, Jonathan, what do you think of? Uh, to me, a class is the it's a guide for playing a character. It is a collection of abilities, uh, stats, and uh, a sort of a guide. Say, hey, this is the type of character you're going to be playing. You're playing a fighter who's good at bashing things in the head with a weapon. While, if you're playing, like say, modern five E, it's like you're playing a fighter. You have that option, or you have you can play a fighter who's good at being fast. But either way, you're it's a guide to a certain type of character that is based on modern media and folklore and pop culture and such.
0: But is a a class, is there a separate class for all those things? Or is that one class with
1: options? Usually that's one class with options. Although then you also have the more like, again, taking an example from D&D, you have the straight fighter with no special abilities. And then if you have like magic then they usually make them a whole nother class. Okay. But yeah, a class is yeah, one set of ability. well, yeah, a set of abilities with options for a little bit more specialization in certain fields.
0: Okay. So knowing that,
1: um
2: what is an archetype, Trap? Well an archetype, I mean there's the example where an archetype is like a pinnacle of, a, of, of something like the, oh, this is the archetypical version of a fighter. Now, in Pathfinder, they came up with archetypes to differ a class, like how Jonathan said, oh, you can be this type of fighter or that. Each of all the classes in Pathfinder, your base classes, your hybrid classes, your core classes, All of them have these archetypes That when you switch out a class feature Like, okay, I want to be a rogue But I want to be a roof runner Well, okay, well then you get like a bonus To acrobatics checks while running on roofs But you get rid of your trap finding Oh, I want um, Let's say something akin to parkour Which is later on Okay, you get rid of your trap sense So you're switching out Class features of the Core class the basic Generic fighter rogue wizard What have you But in return you're getting A much more unique character When I hear archetype with role playing My mind goes right to the pathfinder Version of archetype which As I said It gives you more a more unique version Of one of the tried and true classes You know the fighter rogue monk Wizard sorcerer what have you
0: Mm Mm-hmm Okay, well, uh, to me, okay, an archetype is essentially a character that you already know written down their abilities to be used for other people like that. So, for example, D&D, the ranger is Aragorn. Oh, okay. The wizard, Gandalf. The, uh... Of course, every halfling is from the Shire (laughs) because they even had stout uh, versions and other versions, which basically mirrored uh, the the, uh, Middle Earth. So, and they, uh, and, and I'm saying is that, you know, I think when people say to me, I want, you know, to play. This archetype, they usually have some version of it that they've seen in a movie, or they've read in a book, or something else that they're trying to bring out in the game. So, and I and I see them being in both D and D, and also in uh, other game systems. Where I run into the uh, into issues is where I'm trying to say, well, why don't we do it the same way? So. Jonathan, what does a class give you? Well you know uh, we, we, we talked about you know what a what a class was and what an archetype is. But what is a class what's, what's the intent of a class?
1: Best I've been able to, to tell is the, the point of a class, the purpose of a class is to allow a character to create a game balance ready, character with within a certain archetype so you know it, I want to be the guy who hits us so I, w- I want to be the dwarven fighter having that class means that you don't have to worry about too much picking the ex- exact skills you need they're baked into that class
0: so it's a it's a kind of a uh, it's, it's kind of a leg up it's kind of a a, a running start. Right, okay, all right, but so why is there more than one class?
1: Well, because there's more than one type of character you want to play. Since there's more than one archetype, there has to be more than one class. You
0: archetype does not necessarily equal class, does it?
1: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. You, uh, I, I could think that as you mentioned, like Aragorn being a ranger, but I could see certain ways to make a fighter class work that same way and so that's where it's like <laughs> it's kind of like oh how do you explain it
0: it's it's ironic because uh ranger is now its own class in D D when it used to be a subclass of fighter
1: yeah
2: well exactly. that's harkening back to like second edition then if that's how they did it right yeah i was gonna say
0: well, I mean, the bard was a was a, was something that was very hard to achieve in the original D anD D. You had to be like probably at least tenth level, if not higher, before
2: you could ever go for that. Yeah, I think it was fighter, magic user, thief combo. Yeah,
0: yeah, and um, and you had to be, and and only humans could do it, which meant that you were you had to have like seventies and eighteens in each of those stats. So, but that's that's first edition. We don't need to go into that. Okay, so. Um uh, essentially, uh, in my point of view, is, is that the reason that the classes existed, especially in D&D, because that's where they originated, uh, was so that because they wanted to play a certain type of game. And they knew that there was going to be certain tasks that were going to be involved in playing that game. And so they wanted to make sure that all those tasks, all those Uh, Abilities or proficiencies, okay, were were nicely divided up into however many classes they decided to go with. Originally, there was only four. Now there's like I think about eight, Um, and of course the Pathfinder them might be even more. I'm not sure, Uh, and 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 this this basically if you had if each character. Person, each player, took a different Character and there was enough For all the, there was enough to fall All the different categories Then essentially you would Be prepared to take on Anything that the adventure might Bring to you. This is where I think an archetype doesn't Provide because An archetype isn't trying to Fill in a blank Okay It's, it's basically I want to be this and I hope somebody else fills in the blank because or we're going to have to look at the end to see what we did and what we took and where where are our holes in our proficiencies that maybe some of us have to make an adjustment to me, that was the big strength of a D and d or D and d. You just simply if you took the core if everybody took one of the core classes, you were assured of of, of being able to handle. The basic stuff that was supposed to be in an adventure, whether it be fighting, whether it be negotiation, whether it be um actually uh whether it be uh, uh picking locks, climbing walls, defeating spellcasters, or healing healing was a big thing for clerics in in most editions of uh I would argue that it's become a, a little bit of a secondary thing in fifth edition because with the introduction of what they call level dice where you can heal yourself after a combat it's taken away a lot of the need for spell casters to use up all their spells providing healing for the party
1: it has reduced the demand on that it, it's a little bit this they're, they're still useful for in combat healing but yeah if you're fairly sure you can make it through the fight Alive then yeah you don't have to Necessarily cast healing as often
0: Which is great for the clerics because You know for four editions The clerics were Primarily that's what they did I should say three editions because In fourth edition on they Started fourth edition added The I do this and Was basically how it worked You know I, I Damage you and I heal my buddy Over there if you were a cleric
1: I heal you and I provide crowd control.
0: Yeah, whatever. I was but they usually that if you were a cleric, you usually got the and healing. So that uh that was a big bonus for for the party. But it still lets you do something other than healing in your turn. Now it's essentially unless no matter how much damage you get hit with in a single attack, uh the worst that happens is you get knocked down to zero hit points and you fall down. Unless somebody attacks you further that round. Your chance—you have no chance of dying. And uh, and then the uh, the cleric, when it comes around, can cast a spell that basically pops up everybody who is uh, who is down, and they get up and they get to attack fully, you know, before the, they get counterattacked. In which case, they usually get knocked down again. But by that time, they probably decimated, you know, the other side. So it's a, a
1: lot of that. I think a lot of that has to do with D and D kind of embracing the heroic um, setting as opposed to a more realistic, you know, dark and gritty kind of play style.
0: But my point is, it's completely changed that dynamic. So you don't. So it, it, as the cleric is no longer a class where your primary duty is to heal people, which is what it was for a long, long time. Basically, making sure that all the bases and character abilities are uh, are covered is one of the main reasons for classes. Okay, another reason for classes is parity and character design. If they basically tell you who you are, and only give you certain options to be, then no matter what anybody takes, they're all going to be pretty much the same power level. There's not going to be any buddy who's going to be able to overload on one thing only and basically be useless 100% you know the rest of the time but like be a god a you know a, a gaming god during that one thing that they really do well this is something that actually happens a lot in other systems even archetypes you know with archetypes because just because you chose an archetype doesn't mean you can't concentrate all you can't choose a narrow archetype and concentrate all of your uh building in that one small area, even Richard with uh, TriTech systems, when you made a character, he said, "Okay, pick one skill as your primary skill, and you get this bonus to it. Then pick two other skills as your secondary skills, as support of your primary, and you get this bonus to it. And then everything after that was just w- wide open. So, you know, uh, it 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 didn't load it up as much as some systems do." For example, I, I just recently made a character in Savage Worlds, and I decided to make a fighter, and I just kept loading up, feet after feet, into that fighter, making him into he's basically useless for almost everything else, <laughs> but he's can really hit hard, and 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 he's really hard to hit, so that's you know, that's what that character is, and uh, and you can you can do that kind of focusing, uh in um uh, in. An archetype system a lot better than you can in a class system because the class system is trying to again make you cover other bases so that every character can do, has a wider range of things that they can do. But it also means that your skills are probably you know especially your best skills are probably not going to be the best skills of another character. Unless they pick the same class So you have role protection Spotlight protection Built into the system Because of the class system And I personally think that's the strongest point in favor Of the class system Is the fact that it's built with the idea That other people don't get to do what you do Even though I think that The game itself subverts that (laughs) Uh, but I think that's part of the idea. I think that was part of the original concept for the class system. What do you guys think of what I've just said?
2: I do think that when you pick a class, you know what you're getting yourself into. You know, okay, I'm a rogue. I'm the stealth guy. I'm the lock picking guy. I'm the trap guy. Okay, I'm the bard. My job is to sit there and use music and spells to buff my friends where they, you know, do their stuff better. And I'm generally the mouthpiece, the diplomat. I am a ranger. Okay, I fight, I track, I survive in the wilderness. I have a few spells. It It's kind of, you get you know what you're getting into when you pick these classes and you know that these are the things you're going to excel at. You know going in, there's not a lot of mystery to it. And for many people, it's very comfortable. For the longest time, my daughter would play nothing but female elven archers, which is fine. That's what she was comfortable with. And my daughter rocked at it and just, yeah, I'm looking. It's like, and she still managed to make each of, I think she did three different characters of that type in the time that she was gaming with me. And she slayed the game with each one because each one still had enough differences. And this was still 3.0, 3.0. 3 yeah, I like 3.0. So the, the Pathfinder archetype was not even thought of yet. And my daughter still managed to make each one of those different despite the fact that they were all female elven rangers. But she knew still, okay, I'm okay with the sword, but put a bow in my hand and I will put an arrow through your eye at... 100 yards, you know, because that just was the type of character my daughter wanted to play at that time. She knew what she was getting herself into. Well, it sounds like it's
0: really easy to make an elven archer uh, because of the class system. Uh, Jonathan, do you think the specialization is actually easy to do inside of a class system? When they give you the options,
1: certainly. Um, That's, I think, one of my big hassles with a class system is that what if you want to specialize in something that doesn't normally fit that class? Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to pick a specialization that is usually associated with that class, then oh yeah, they usually make it very easy.
0: Right. So if it's part of the things that are written into the class as a path of advancement or specialization, then it's, it's great, right? Right. Right, but if it isn't, if you want to basically say, I want to, I, I, people have over the years have always said things like Conan as an example, because Conan, he's a he's a barbarian, but yet he's also a rogue, he's also um, a kind of a sage, because of, you know what? Because at some point, I think he knows a lot about magic. Uh, ultimately, he uh, uh, he. You know, for a time, he spends a lot of time on boats. And it's like, how do I play that character in my D&D game?
2: One word, Bruce, (laughs) multiclassing.
0: Yeah, I would say the answer is you can't. Okay? You think you can do it with multiclassing. How would you do it?
2: Well, I mean, obviously, (laughs) barbarian, rogue. Yeah, barbarian, rogue, because... You know, Rogue, well, we'll go Pathfinder 3035. Okay. Rogue has the most skill points per level. There is no class that I can remember, well, other than a third-party class, Temporal Historian. But usually the highest you can get is 8 plus int mod skill points per level. So if you want skills, 9 times out of 10, you're going to go for the Rogue who just knows everything about everything. And they have the most class skills, too.
0: Right, but you know that Conan didn't start off as a rogue. He started off as a fighter, as a barbarian.
2: Well, yeah, and that just means you'd, you'd probably multi-class barbarian and then go in, because I, it, it's been ages since I've seen that movie. But I do remember he was sneaking around and, you know. So, yeah, barbarian with taking later levels in rogue. Right. And it would buff up, you know, the skills that barbarians are not quite so good at. You know. Like... Well no, barbarian can be stealthy. <laughs> they can be. There there's yeah, can not always are, but they can be. <laughs> right. Um I'm not really cons- I'm not really thinking of any other class that would that he would really, you know, barbarian and rogue and like the sailing, they just put ranks in sailing or take a proficiency in it, you know. So as I said, folks, I'm not really familiar with uh D and D five E, so I'm I'm falling back on what I know. Yeah. Being a sailor
0: is actually a background in Five E, which doesn't help you taking it later in life. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So um, mm-hmm. I would I would argue uh, that the the intention in D anD D was always that you play a single class and never multi class because they there are advantages to doing that uh, that don't exist if you multi class, uh, and. And they, and I think that they try to uh, uh, enforce that in 5e because if you multiclass in 5e, you get to take a couple of abilities from another class, but you don't actually get to take everything that was there. That was why in in, in the third edition of D and D, everyone said you know the the best way to become an ultra powerful character is to take a level in rogue because you get all the you get all the the, the the basic boost in all the skills Okay Then you take a a, a level in uh, uh, Ranger Because then you get all the Ranger abilities You know um, And then you take uh, a level in like Mage Because then you get the Mage abilities But you also get have at that point You also have all the hit points That come from being two levels of Something else that has high hit points So there and they would and and they would tell you to uh, to think about where you wanted to get to and to plan your choices in what classes you took so that you could get there. So if at some point you wanted to be this specialized class, which they called um, prestige classes. Yeah. Uh, then you had to have all these other things that. Qualified you for that before you Could even take that so there's a lot Of gatekeeping oh, yeah. going on In that sort of far end To me it was really hard to do That kind of specialization because You just couldn't naturally flow Into these things it wasn't like Well I need to do this now So I'm going to go ahead and and Start studying this and become This uh, it was more like Well I can't either I can't Do it or uh, I'm going to have to spend some time Taking certain classes before I'll be qualified To be able to do the next thing So, uh, and, that, and you don't have that problem with archetypes Because first of all, usually you, what you're trying to get to Is baked into the archetype Or you pick up new archetypes as you go along To add to your existing one And that basically gives you the direction you need to go. And there isn't
2: a lot of gatekeeping in other systems. There is something you mentioned about uh, multiclassing and not multiclassing. In Pathfinder, they have something called a capstone ability. When you hit 20th level in the class, basically it is, oh, this is the big ability. This is the, it is the pinnacle of you. It is the ultimate fighter of your fighterness in a way. I mean, you... Like oh god, what was the one? And now apparently from the Pathfinder uh, SRD, it's like d20pfsrd.com. They have alternate capstone abilities, where yeah, you may not get oh, you may be the ultimate fighter and you can you know wield any improvised weapon without a penalty. Oh no, instead you can do this, and it's your choice to take. But they put the capstone ability into Pathfinder to. Kind of discourage multi-classing. They don't bar it. Yeah, but they give they give you the big goodie at the end if you manage to slug through all twenty levels. Yeah, and they they do have
0: that as part of basic uh, the D and D. They have like certain abilities you get only at very very high levels. So yeah, it's always been encouraged in the game that to, for you to stay in one class and not take any other class unless you absolutely had to have it in order to do something that you wanted to do. So, again, my question comes down to is, is that are, you know, these, these classes, though they have these benefits where they protect the role, they provide parity and power between different, uh, different char- characters that are in play, uh, they, allow, they make sure that, every, that all the bases are covered as far as uh, being able to successfully complete an adventure they have these benefits but then you know you find that if you know that if you deviate from the one true way you know it, and they might give you three options you know like other paths you can do within what used to be uh uh mo- I'm sorry uh specialization is now you know uh, like uh subclasses is now basically specialization within a single class uh it's uh if you try to deviate beyond that, then usually there's a, a fairly severe penalty as far as you know your how how fast you go up in power, and um you know
2: they, they try to make it not worth it. Well, they did that in 3 and 3-5. They've done it in every version. If you did multi-class and you took experience point penalties, I remember that. Yes, you did. And I think they either I think they either got rid of that in three five or they abolished it in Pathfinder, where you don't lose experience points for anything. Most people just zero ruled it away anyways. <laughs> right, yeah. most
0: people just said, "I'm not going to penalize you for taking another class, but that was part of the game.
2: I remember reading that in 3.0 where it was the multi-class penalty where it was like, I think you had to it was like 20 percent higher for plateaus.
0: yeah. yes, it was. Yeah, like I said, they wanted you, and and I, I, again, this this was them u- using their system to basically tell you, you know, how, how, what kind of character you should be playing. And um, I always was offended by that personally. You know, I, I didn't like it. Uh, I also uh, I, I agreed with the fact that they three O had a a, pro- a big problem in that that they were what what is referred to as bottom loading or front loading. Uh, abilities where if you just one level in a class you got a ton of abilities but you didn't get much going up past that I mean the, the the amount you got at second level of that ability or third level of that ability wasn't anywhere near what you got for first level.
2: No no palladium does that and I and I, I had this discussion with a friend of mine uh Damian Magecraft at uh con the cob that palladium all you know rips Robotech uh heroes unlimited you got all these abilities as soon as you joined a class, and then it was like, oh, let's say you got, for the, the Heroes Unlimited wizard, um, recognizing magic. And it would be like at 20% plus 3% every level after. So you got like a bunch of skills, a bunch of abilities, and they were all part of the archetype of this class. Like Heroes Unlimited, they have, uh, let's see, the secret operative, the hunter vigilante, the ancient weapons master and with each of these you've got a nice chunk of skills but these were all skills inherent and immediately useful and necessary to fulfill whatever archetype when i hear front loading classes the first thing i think of is the palladium system i'm not bad man like i'm i'm just saying that's what first comes to mind for me you you essentially were a party of one at that point <laughs> yeah
0: you know uh I personally think that going cleric was a lot better than going mage, but you know, if you ever it, it, you, you just basically made it a lot harder for you to get that fireball by doing that because now you have to be three levels higher. Yeah. But uh, you again, you can climb anything, you can s- s- pick locks, you can open doors, you've got the strength to bend bars, uh, you can you have all kinds of survival skills. And, uh, and then, of course, with the cleric abilities, you have a lot of the um, um, uh, divination abilities and other things like that. So, I mean, the, the, uh, the class system can actually uh, be a bad thing in that regard because essentially, as I said, it's, you know, it, it essentially takes away the spotlight from other characters because if you can take all the same level, all the same classes they have, you're essentially the same character. With just slight differences yeah. in your base stats So uh, by the trying to enforce these classes uh, It basically keeps your ability separate And it keeps your roles separate Archetypes, because of the fact that they don't enforce anything having to do with game balance It's basically you just trying to be the character that you imagine yourself to be uh, A lot of times what you'll run into is where there's going to be certain skills that everybody has um, In the case of like uh, Almost every game you're in Everybody wants to have a really high notice skill Because the GM is always going to say Okay, make a, a, a Perception, notice uh, Spot check Something, you know And everybody wants to make that role. So everybody's going to lo- If they have the ability to load up In that area, they're all going to load up In that area Personally, I think that they should probably make those particular skills uniform across all archetypes and all classes, unless, of
2: course, it actually goes against your archetype because everyone's going to want it. In 3.0, 3.5 Pathfinder, there are certain skills, they call them everyman skills. Everybody's known to have them. Now, if you get a particular class where perception, notice, spot, Listen, search, whatever Now, if you get a class that That skill is prevalent in Like Bard, like Rogue um, Let's see, the, the hybrid class In Pathfinder, Investigator Where, you know, that's their thing They pick up, because Perception in Pathfinder is what Investigate was in D20 Modern If you're searching for clues I think it's a DC25 So yeah but there are certain skills that everybody can do in the OG. Well, we'll just call it the OGL system, because 3035 Pathfinder are all the same. They just they're all backwards compatible. It
0: wasn't part of your class, though, Trav. You had to pay twice as much for it.
2: Thankfully in Pathfinder, they got rid of that class, cross-class. You know, the class skills are can go up to three ranks higher. What they do now in Pathfinder is just. Oh, if it's a class skill, as soon as you dump in a dump in one rank, you get a plus three bonus because you've you've fed that class skill a rank. So they got rid of that, which was very confusing, and now they just have you can have as many ranks as you are levels. So all of your skills, if you're third level, you ain't gonna have higher than three ranks, but you can have a, a mess ton of bonuses due to feats, well, abilities, what have you.
1: That's about what they've done in uh, 5th edition D&D is that all the skills, everyone has the same skills. It's just a matter of does your class provide your proficiency bonus to that skill or not?
2: So I'm I'm just asking this again, unfamiliar with 5e. So you're saying a fighter would be able to have at least a small chance to pick a lock?
1: Yeah, I think so. Well, yes, yes.
2: The
0: answer is yes. Yes, he would. It's not a class skill.
1: I think it might. Okay. I, I think just... the DM can make the decision that it might be tied to proficiency with tool, like a lockpick set. Because I have seen that um, option. Well,
0: if you have it, then you get it gives you a bonus.
2: Yeah, it's like masterwork thieves tools in in OGL. You get a plus two to. I mean, you can pick locks with it. Fine. If you have a masterwork toolkit, uh, thieves tools. You get a plus two uh, competence bonus to the to the disabled device roll. So yeah, right. So in the in the case of
0: like picking locks, uh, you know, you have all as you said, you have all the skills. But if if your class su- suggests that you know it is designed for you to have the ability to pick locks, you a you'll have a proficiency bonus that goes uh, to Certain skills that are considered, you know, part of that class, you know, emphasized by that class. Okay, if um, also if you take a background which I would claim is an archetype, okay, uh, then uh, that has to do with hanging around with shady folk. Then you might also have a proficiency in lock picking, in which case. Even though you're not someone who should be able to do it, you automatically, you, because of that background, you have that ability, and so you get your proficiency bonus, and you also get your Dex bonus to your lock picking, and uh, and that's and that's how they do it in 5e. So uh, they it, it avoids uh, having to, uh, but if you don't have that background, then the only way to get it is for you to multiclass. And take those abilities from another class,
1: or you spend one of your uh, um, attribute ability uh, boosts you get at certain levels to buy the feat if you're using feet.
0: If there is a feat for it, yeah, yeah, that's you know that, that's that's another discussion that I'd like to talk about just a little bit later. Okay, so uh, to me, you know what I the way I see you know the ideal situation for people who are playing. An archetype type game is to say, and, and, and it's so much like classes. This is why I'm saying you, you basically say, "Look, we're going to play this type of game. Let's let's pick a space game. Let's say you're going to be all members on a starship. Okay? So there's certain roles that people are going to have. There's going to be the commander. There's going to be the uh, pilot. There's going to be the engineer. There's going to be the uh, life sciences. Let's call you. The doctor could fall into life sciences, okay? And possibly there's the weapon specialist. And so, after you've chosen that role, then you think of yourself in your mind: what what archetype do I want to be inside of that? And so, to me, that's essentially what you've just done with classes. Classes are, you know, you you is, you, know, you basically taken the the jobs of, of an adventuring party in D and D or in Star uh, Starfinder, and you basically said these are the classes that you're going to be because that's how the game is broken down. But I'm just saying is that in in any game, that's pretty much where you should always start. You know, where you say what role do I see myself playing in this game, and then take the archetype that fits for you for your how you want to be fit in that game so that and that will inform you of some of the skills you need to have which would therefore be the primary abilities that a class would give you and then also the archetype itself will say and but these are the other skills i need in order to be the person i'm imagining myself to be now to me that seems a lot more flexible than a, uh, a, a you know, burned in, in stone class system, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't provide game balance in any way, other than the fact that each of those roles are necessary.
1: What came to mind, um, was uh, Star Trek Next Generation and how, in like the very first season, Worf was a helmsman. He had nothing to do with security. And then suddenly in season two, he becomes like head of security. That wouldn't, you really wouldn't see that in, in most um, class-based RPGs where you have the ability to start off as one class and move to another.
0: You wouldn't have seen it in the uh, fastest Star Trek game because I played that recently. And believe me, That uh, you 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 get all those abilities that you're talking about in Starfleet Academy, or right after Starfleet Academy, when you're out doing your what's called your cadet uh cadet voyages, cadet cruise. Thank you, Trav. And and you there there's no way that I mean, if you, I mean you could theoretically through your adventuring you could. If you took all your points and socked them away toward that, you might be able to transition over, but it would not be something that you could easily change unless you had some kind of a, you know computer learning system that literally allowed you to basically forget all these, move those points over here. <laughs> Which kind of what it sounds like they did with Wharf.
1: Yeah, I think
0: so Yeah, Now we know that they actually do have that system Because they used it on Aurora When she lost all of her memories In that one adventure in Classic Trek I think it was um, The one with Charlie What's his name? He basically just goes over and touches Aurora And she, be- and she basically falls down And her entire mind has been wiped She's like a baby And, uh, before-, and before A month is up got her- They got her up to uh, college level she basically uh, gains back all of her skills in an, um, you know, in an unbelievably short period of time Now, she does have an adult brain So all the wiring's there But I'm just saying it's, uh, they, they seem to forget about that in later editions Like they do so often as, you know, This is a tangent, of course you know, in, in television shows, especially Star Trek is known for how they come up with a solution In one adventure And everybody forgets about it And they never use it again even though it would have
1: been so useful later on. They would have revolutionized the whole Starfleet.
2: Yeah. Well, no, they they have they have the solution that always works. Reverse the polarity. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Every episode. It's one of the biggest jokes in Trek. Did you try reversing the polarity?
0: Or or what is it? They the cross uh... Uh, cross something from A to B. That's what's how Spock always gets people back. Power
2: coupling, yeah. Well, no, yeah. there's a
0: thing where he does a cross thing from A to B on the on the transporter console, and 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 that always seems to get people back that are fading out.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, oh, all, you, you know, all that is reversing the polarity. It's just the twenty fourth century version of "Did you turn it off and turn it back on again?" That's all it is. Absolutely,
0: it is. Yeah. Absolutely, it is. Yes, and you know that, and that still works. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I have done that recently on 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 my Surface. Yeah, <laughs> just it just went it went Looney Tunes. I turned it off, turned it back on. It all worked again. Just. <laughs> You know, and the more th- the more things get complicated as time goes on. Of course, the more likely it is. Okay, but back to our topic. Have we come to any kind of a, a conclusion here? Is is my statement uh, original that that uh, the classes are just reskinned um, uh, archetypes? It, have we proven that to be false statement, or is it
1: actually does it does it does it, does it merit? I, I'm. I'm... I wouldn't say reskinned, but heavily based on archetypes, especially if you look at um, all the newer subclasses that Wizards of the Coast has released with their additional supplements. You start seeing, oh, they're, okay, that's, that, they're pulling Geralt from the Witcher over here, and oh, that's pulling this character from over here that maybe wasn't uh, quite available in the base game. But it, they are separate. I will say that. I'd say based on archetypes, but not necessarily. Um, Classes help
2: facilitate them. you getting to an archetype.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The The way I, yeah, I, I mean, the way I described it just a little bit before now was, is that if you take a role and you add an archetype to it, you've essentially created a class. Yeah. That's that's what I so it by that definition, then no an archetype and a class are not the same because there's a very important piece that is missing if you just look at it that way. Now I myself okay have always said that game balance is a bugaboo that that was introduced by certain people in the gaming industry and we've all been the worst for it because we used to have so much uh, more creativity within even a single game system like d and d because everybody felt like if they wanted to play uh, a, a dip, you know a, a different t- type of something they could just create it with all the different parts and and the paths and all that stuff like that and it was all fine you know you didn't have to work i mean your gm still had to give it the blessing okay but still you you were encouraged to do it i mean there were a whole dragon magazine every month. Had a different uh, uh, new. They called them NPC classes, not to be used for player characters. Everybody knew what they were. What every the people were going to play them as player characters. But yeah, I mean, you had like time casters. You had uh, the uh, uh, archer ranger, which I which I personally think is probably the most overpowered class that has ever been invented. <laughs> and I, w- I did my level best to make it even more uh overpowered. <laughs> but uh, the uh I mean so many different versions of um of mages. I mean, they people went off and created witches as compared to war, you know, which are which later on became warlocks. Uh, I mean a lot of these classes did not exist in earlier editions. There wasn't no, I mean, uh until 3 there was no sorcerer. There was, even though there were monsters. No, that's right. Yeah, monsters had these same abilities. Monsters never had to train or prepare their spells on a daily basis. They they had the ability to cast them. They just did it. Okay, so the sorcerer class was essentially what was already existed in the game as a monster ability, Um, and of course, a monster was any was any opponent, including human class, you know, other humans. Because you had your Barbarians, and you had your uh, Berserkers, and uh, those were a human class in first edition uh, Monster Manual. Anyways, uh, so I'm just saying is that a lot of the classes that are in now are there because they essentially they were very, very popular. I don't think they've ever proven the test of time where they basically let you do something you really need to do in order to be successful in the adventure. Uh, and that in itself, I think they violate their own... Role protection by doing that But, you know, that's You know, nothing's perfect (laughs) One of the things That I don't see So far in D&D Okay, in the classes I, I don't think they've ever made good crafting Crafting doesn't seem to be Part of the game
1: Not so much, yeah Yeah
0: I mean, I mean, I mean, you could make potions and stuff as a mage, but you had to be like 11th level or 9th level in 1st edition.
1: Yeah, I think 5th edition has added some rules, but it's very loose, very abstract. Yeah. Which, I mean, can be useful for, you know, characters who want to create the ultimate artifact of undying lordmanship, but if they just want to create a, a magic sword of ice fire. That's, you know, kind of similar to what's in there, but isn't quite, maybe it's a little bit more powerful and it's, you know, how, you know, it's up to the GM to do the, the, a lot of the legwork on that, which as a GM, I'm not against doing, I like doing that kind of stuff, but that's me. That's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. Yeah.
0: And I'm not even saying that this is a a class versus archetype thing. I'm just saying is, is that they're, uh, because I think all systems have a problem with this I mean in D&D When they did introduce crafting they, they basically nerfed it by saying If you craft something You have to give up your experience points In order to create it So essentially The, the very people that you probably want to gain More abilities in the area By basically doing what it is That they're, tr- that they, they're trying to do They're becoming weaker As a result <laughs>
2: Uh, Pathfinder, they, I, I mentioned this earlier Pathfinder got rid of any way To lose XP And that includes One of the biggest beefs that people had About 3035 Was, yeah, we're going to Yeah, your wizard, your cleric all Anybody who's an artificer A creator of any type Of magic item Yeah, you get to do this But let's say you For a potion, you have to give up 50 XP to make a potion So you're basically making all these magic items for your friends who have to protect you because you're not advancing at the same... And that was one of the main reasons why Pathfinder just said no. There is no XP loss whatsoever. If you get hit by a vampire, it's not XP loss. It's a negative level, which is one of the good things I love about Pathfinder. Yeah,
0: yeah. But when they did that, um, they also took away the... You know, the the thing that they were, the reason that they did in the first place, which was to say, well, then what's to keep somebody from basically making a thousand potions or a thousand swords and becoming a billionaire overnight?
2: Well, I mean, it still takes time. Basically, if you're going to do that, any good GM is going to say, okay, fine, you're retiring the character, you become a sword maker or you become a potion maker, roll up a new character. Because you're not going to have time to adventure if you're going to sit there and go into the sword-making or potion-making business. You've just become a smith or an alchemist, respectively.
0: This is Bruce Sheffer saying, there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore
2: them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
0: Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast.